Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Sarit Becker. I'm Itamar Srulovic. Together we run a couple of Middle Eastern restaurants in London. And we also do our fair share of food writing. You're listening to Honey & Co., where we take turns interviewing interesting people from the world of food in front of a small audience at our deli, Honey & Spice. In this series, we'll be meeting producers and makers who create some of the essential ingredients in cooking. The people you're going to hear from supply us, inspire us, improve our cooking and our life in general. We hope you enjoy and have fun geeking out with us about all things food. Enjoy! enjoy. Tonight, we're going to be talking to Grant Harrington and Eve Hemingway. Along with Richard Snapes, they have written an amazing book called Bread and Butter, but tonight it's all about butter. We're going, with their help, to talk about how butter is made, how you can make your own at home, what's special about it, what changes, how do you cook with it, everything you need to know about butter. Have a listen. It's fascinating stuff. We'd like to welcome Grant Harrington, a former fine dining chef who fell in love with the idea of creating the most buttery butter, and Eve Hemingway, who is a food writer and a special interest in history and food culture. They have, together with Richard Snape, written a wonderful book called Bread and Butter, and tonight we are here to focus on the butter side of things. So, Grant, you were formerly a chef in fine dining. You yeah. ended up making butter, yeah. and you somehow partnered together, started writing about butter together. Tell me a brief history of butter. We're going to start with Eve. Yes, a brief history of butter or how we started writing about butter? No, no, a brief history of butter. butter. Okay, okay. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty. Are you all ready? The first records of butter started about 11,000 years ago, so really quite a long time ago. And we're not exactly sure when. I think that's one of the most fascinating things. There's not really one certain point in history where they can say, yes, this is when we started making butter from. What we do know is that there were tribes of people going around, and we know it was somewhere around the Fertile Crescent, also where we saw the first domestication of animals. Um, But before the domestication of animals, we saw tribes of nomads riding around, and they would keep the sacks of uh, their animals' milk on their animals as they were riding around and as they did they would ride around and the milk would bash against the side of the animal and as they were galloping along that milk would then get churned the whey would separate from the solids and lo and behold you'd then have butter Mm -hmm. so that was kind of the first records of of butter was was that then we had the domestication of animals and so people learned that you could get a much higher yield out of butter if you took care of your animals and you raised them in the right way then you saw a big increase in in butter production around the sort of greek and fast forwarding a bit around the greek and roman times butter started to gain popularity more in medicine than in food so there is a mention of butter in what's widely regarded as one of the first cookbooks. Um, I'm not sure how you say it. I think it's Apicius, if anybody else knows. But it's not in any of the recipes. It's just listed in the in the glossary under the Latin butrium. And then fast forward, um, kind of early, mod- early modern period, it starts to get used more and more and more, but still keeping those quite traditional methods of using butter. And I think that's one of the things that really fascinated 
well, I know it fascinates Grant and it certainly fascinates me, is that actually not that much has changed in butter production since it started to be made. Like we still take the milk, aggravate it uh, so that this milk so that the butterfat solids and the whey separate and you're able to make the butter. Grant, you came in a kind of different way to this. So like I said before, you were a chef in kitchens. Yep. You'd worked here in London with Gordon Ramsay and then you made a move. Yeah, I kind of, Lindland got a bit too much and I was looking for a, like a good escape and I was entering all CV into all these different restaurants around Scandinavia um, and Magnus at Favikin uh, got back and said, start on this day and bring your skis, uh, which was like <laughs> insane. Like I love skiing and I love cooking. So it was like all my dreams like coming true. And I got there and the first thing I tried was the butter. And I just couldn't believe how butter it was. We did all these amazing ingredients and stuff. But we just kept going back to the butter and it was so buttery. Sounds really cliche. That I just couldn't get it out of my head. And at the same time, my brother was marrying into a dairy farm in Oxfordshire. Um, and I thought, always going to do the food for the wedding anyway. Why not do the butter as well? Kind of snuck back away from Flavican and it was going down so well. I was like, why not start a business? Um, and that was five years ago and haven't looked back since. Really? Trying to create, in a way, the most buttery butter here. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And how, how do you go about that? How do you start this? So like with cheese making, there's a, a billion types of bacteria that can produce different flavours, from your blue cheeses to like parmesans and stuff. There's so many different bacteria that produce these different dairy flavours. Um, so I spent about a year trying to find, to find a specific bacteria that produced a buttery flavour. So still not, nothing's ever perfect, so still working on that. But when I found one that produced this strong memory of what I tried in Sweden as well. You add it to a cream like a, and start the process like creme fraiche or sour cream and you ferment it and I played around with a lot of different times um, but found a recipe I was really happy with that you ferment this creme fraiche, sour cream and churn it um, and it just tastes much more floral and buttery. Eve, like you said before, the process in itself hasn't changed much along the generations of the years. What is, what is the process itself? Yeah, so you take your cream and, well, we're going to have a go, actually, aren't yeah. we? We're going to yeah, try and have a go. It. it doesn't work for the podcast, but it works for you guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you, so you, I mean, you can do this at home. You just take some cream and put it in a jar, and then you just give it a shake. I think these ones have been give a little bit pre-shaken so already, shake, so they're almost halfway if there. If we shake and just hand um, it around between with you. There's another one there. If it's not moving, like, be quite, like... You've got to be quite firm with, with it, it. Yeah. yeah. Give it a um, shake when you give up. And then when you get tired, else. yeah, <laughs> when you get tired, pass it on. And by hopefully by the time it gets to the back, we'll have some butter. It's, it is essentially this aggravation. I mean, as time's gone on, it's got more industrial. I think one of the first industrial butter makers was called the Buterator, which I really love. Buterator. Um, and uh, yeah, so obviously we can do it in much larger quantities now, but essentially the process is still the same. You, you aggravate the cream, the the solids and the liquid separate and then you can take out the you can take out the solids and get squeeze them so you get rid of the extra yes liquid the agitation of this liquid with fat in breaks the bonds of the fat globules and they bind together and eventually they've all bound into one form and you have the liquid buttermilk which is the way yeah um but i know a lot of people or some people might remember their families making butter a slightly different way where sometimes the, the milk would just be left to separate. So lots of people spoke to us about having memories of having the milk delivered outside their door and then uh, having the cream to skim off the top. Yeah. And essentially, if you just would take that cream and then shake that up a little bit, you'd get your, you'd get your butter. Grant, what's different about, not different about what you do, but what's special about what you do? Why is your butter so delicious? So it 
it really comes from that idea of how it used to be done, like pre-industrialization, where now you have a separator that separates the cream instantly. You'd leave it out in a big vat, and the cream would go to the top. And during that whole time, it would take up to two days. Um, a bacteria would ferment, um, and it would make it slightly sour. You'd end up with this slightly sour cream that then makes a slightly more acidic, tasty butter. And that idea is what inspired me to try fermenting a bacteria that boosted that flavor even more to have a more buttery butter. I think the other difference is the pasteurization. So when you when you pasteurize milk, you, yes, you get rid of the bad bacteria, but you also strip the milk of all the good bacteria as well, and that's where you get the flavor. So by naturally fermenting, you're keeping all of the stuff that actually just makes it really, really tasty. But you're also feeding some of that flavor back by adding <coughs> cultures to the butter. Back into, because I actually my butter is pasteurized yeah. um, because I prefer to start on a blank slate yeah. and then add a specific flavor to that. Whereas if raw, raw milk is amazing, but it's nice in its own world, whereas I'm trying to make a specific flavor, yeah. raw milk is really floral and just beautiful because of all the bacteria. Yeah. So the, the, the color, sorry, because I have to ask about, this is a natural occurrence, the yellowish kind of... Yeah, so the, the more grass a cow eats, uh, grass contains beta-carotene, which is the vitamin that makes milk yellow. Um, and it's really interesting because goats and sheep and animals like this don't digest it. Um, so that's why goat's milk and sheep's cheese and everything like that is white. Yeah. Cows are one of the ones that digest it, um, one of the animals, sorry, that digest it really efficiently. So especially Guernseys and Jerseys digest grass so well that the, the uh, butter and the milk from it is so yellow. And these are the cows, the varieties you use, the milk yeah. that you use, not the actual cows in the butter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully using their milk for the butter. And so do you see a big change between winter milk and summer milk yeah. in, the, in, the produce that you, in the butter you produce? Yeah, so throughout summer there, there's so much grass. Um, it's crazy and the, the butter goes so yellow. But when it's winter um, and the grass is sometimes not available for the cows. Um, they're fed fermented grass, like silage, uh, which the, the vitamin's not present in. The, lots of other vitamins are, and it's kind of like preserved foods around here. But they'll be eating that and different types of grains um, as well, which means their milk is much paler, and it tastes a bit less floral, but creamier, and kind of represents the season um, as you change throughout. So spring is like probably the yellowest butter and most delicious. But it doesn't keep that long. Or it does. Like, could you keep it from spring throughout the year? Would you freeze butter? Um, we, that's what we did in Sweden. We'd um, make all the butter throughout um, spring, summertime, and it would freeze um, throughout the winter as well. Right. Or historically, people would put their butter into bogs to yeah. preserve it. Yeah, there's a great story about yeah. Moroccans, is it? In Morocco, that they would bury... Oh, that's uh, men. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where they so on the... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about Morocco. Yeah, so there's, like, legend has it that um, in Morocco, people would... Um, start fermenting their butter when the first daughter was born yeah. and then they would eat it on her 18th birthday. Oh, I thought it was when they first married. Oh, was it first yeah. married? Sorry. Well, she might have been married at 14. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. You know, in the older days, that's, you, know, you save four years off the butter. Um, it tasted like a fermented like um, blue cheese almost flavour um, oh. that they then stir through hot couscous. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't have used cows, they would have used goats, no? Or camels? Or goats and camels. Goats think, and yeah. camels, yeah. Um, what else goes into the butter? into my butter, mm -hmm. uh, just cream, bacteria, and salt. Um, and the salt, I really prefer Himalayan rock salt because it covers a lot of um, different elements like bitter and a slight sweetness to it as well rather than sea salt. It's great for texture, um, but the rest of it is quite sharp and reminds me where it's from. So I really don't like molden. I'm not allowed to diss products here. But. 
So do you grate it yourself? Do you, does it come flat? Uh, or yeah, no, it comes um, like roughly ground rock, and then I finish it off at, on the farm, um, and then just hand, hand knead it in. How long did it take until you were very happy with the butter? Like coming back and starting to produce until you were very happy with what you were producing? Yeah, so yeah, it took, took a year of tests and ferment times, different bacteria, different cows, because I originally started using raw milk and realised just the yellow is really important for butter for me as part of the definition. Um, so changing to Guernseys and Jerseys, so it took a year, and then I was super happy and just started displaying restaurants from then on. So you approached people with your butter? Yeah, I kind of went to all the restaurants I used to work at, and then from then it kind of spread word by mouth. And you still do it yourself? Yeah, yeah, it's just me and one other girl at the minute, uh, which is fantastic, but if anyone wants a job, that'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Job hunting. Yeah, so Um, supplying up to, we've just got our 30th Michelin star restaurant, and from there we're looking like where where else we can go. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. What do either of you do with quality butter, apart from obviously eating it with bread and butter? Mm, I think one of my favourite recipes in the book, actually, is the one for uh, the brioche and brown butter ice cream. So putting butter in ice cream, I think, is really nice because ice cream's not rich enough, you know, so you need to (laughs) put some butter in there. Um, You just have to be really careful to whiz it up super fast so it it doesn't get grainy. I love poaching and comfying fish uh, in butter because it gets the perfect temperature and the flavour just seals everything in perfectly. But, like, a cheap go-to for me is instant ramen uh, with, like, a massive knob of butter on top. Mm. Um, and it's just, like... The, makes the, it better. Yeah, yeah <laughs> makes it better. Oh, I'm kind of craving that now. <laughs> if you make your own butter now? After, after working on this book and yeah. everything like that at home, do you make butter? I do. If I don't have any of Grant's lying around, then I will. Yeah. And it's, and it's easy, and like anyone at home can do it. I think that's the thing. People seemed quite surprised at first when they learned to, about butter making and how easy it is. And you can just use a food processor, and it takes, like, five minutes, ten minutes max. Yeah. yeah. If people were not that adventurous and they want to go out and buy a butter, but they don't want to buy a regular supermarket thing. I mean, yours isn't grants. It's not available <laughs> on kind of wide release. What should they buy? What, what's the best thing to look for? Your local farmer's market's really best if, if you have a local farm that makes it themselves that's really great um supports your local dairy industry too but other than that i'd say make it at home like, yeah it's so easy yeah when you guys worked on the book how did you start kind of thinking about the recipes because obviously you have this kind of running theme of bread and butter but you need to narrow it down to something is there mm. some kind of guidelines you were using how yeah. it's a team effort no you you wrote it three of you with yeah. richard's name as well like it's i think i think we kind of just wanted to follow the story of bread and butter. So in researching it, the chapters kind of naturally came from that. So we started researching bread, and then we started researching butter. And then you can guess what happened. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can guess what came after that. And then I work in food waste. So we wanted to include lots of recipes with what to do with the leftovers, because 
when you make butter you get buttermilk and you need to know what to do with that and often when you make bread you're making such big quantities that you've got lots and lots left over and so it's really good to look at what you can do so you don't have waste. So we had the structure, we knew we wanted to talk about history and we knew we wanted to talk about bread, butter, bread and butter and leftovers and then I think we just sat down after after a day at the market and just have brainstormed what were our favourite things to eat. And all those like classic recipes that you couldn't forget like bread and butter pudding Mm. and all the classic breads like baguettes and stuff that we couldn't miss out we kind of ticked all them off first and then added our our most inspired ones like for me the fish it's really important. Yeah and you actually met each other on on a food stall working there and it's all part of this kind of growth of, of artisan market isn't it there's this kind of people are making craft beers and they're making cheeses in old-fashioned ways and making butter in an old-fashioned way is part of this what do you think is causing this quite a big shift in how we eat I think a love for knowing exactly where it's from so a connection from producer to happy consumer and the producer knowing that the for us it's or for me it's really important to know that the consumer's happy so the closeness there is really important. Yeah, I, I think there's also something around people are just getting a bit nerdier about food, a bit a bit geekier, and I love that. Like people are really wanting to get into the nitty gritty of their food and yeah. really pick it apart. And so it was actually a publisher that came by the food stand, and she was looking for some food herself. She came across Grant, who was obviously selling selling the butter, and said, you have to do a book of this butter. It's so amazing. We need to tell more people about this butter. And then Grant sort of said, well, yes, okay, but. Have we no need time to, to yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so butter is quite a busy busy schedule so Richard and Eve um both were on the stall next door and I was like Richard's the baker Eve was helping out on the stall as well and I was like he was a very good writer why not yeah. this is like bread and butter perfect yeah. melody what is that structure of your week how do you I'm, I'm sure it's pretty same you know in a kind of production yeah. way yeah so, so up early this morning churning a fresh batch that was fermented last week and then tomorrow will be shaping Wednesday is delivering to restaurants Thursday is shaping again for Friday and Saturday deliveries um, and then Sunday's the day off so how much can you produce and currently one we're making around 180 kilo of butter a week that's kind of quadrupled since year one you mentioned it a bit before but I want to talk about buttermilk what is it why do you think it's an unknown in the kind of UK food scene? Well, it's really interesting. Like on the markets, I used to sell it, and um, like stereotypically British people didn't really know what to do with it. But I'd have a random South African come up every now and again and just buy a pot to drink. And I think drinking sour milk in other countries is really popular. It's an avenue like we're trying to work on more. Yeah. And this is just the byproduct of of churning the the, the kind yeah. of cream. yeah, and it's and it's fifty fifty as well. So there is a good amount of it too. And you only add your salt later, so this is a completely natural kind of thing. So it naturally lends itself to baking, I assume, quite a bit. We made a little buttermilk tart. I haven't tasted it yet because it was too hot when I made it. But I'm hoping it's delicious. What's your favourite recipe? Uh, oh, the buttermilk tart is really, really good. There's also a buttermilk no, dressing no, that's no very, very good. No strength at all. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure at all. Um, yeah, the, the salad dressing is really fun and easy. Yeah, um, and it's like, I've made that as well. So everything's going to just be like... <laughs> Judged very bad. <laughs> you can't eat no judgment. No. But I've just started developing some isolates with it um, as well. So it's cardamom and buttermilk isolates that we're going to hopefully launch this summer on the market. Oh, nice. Yeah. And a fun fact about butter. I've got three. Can three I, fun can facts. Can I tell you all three yes, facts? Yes, tell us all fun, three um, fun facts. So I really like, there's a Greek poet 
called Anaxandrides, who used to call barbarians butter eaters, which I really love that as an insult. So it's just like, when anyone says, oh, he's such a butter eater. And then I also just love that I came across in the early modern period, there's loads of recipes for roasting pounds of butter, which just baffles me because if you put butter on a spit and try and roast it, it's just going to drip off. So I'm not entirely sure how that works. You would put your oysters and breadcrumbs underneath and then you would put butter on a spit and then turn... That sounds uh, quite nice. Yeah. (laughs) And then the butter would just drip onto your... And maybe the oysters would get a little bit crispy as well. Mm. Mm. That's how I imagine it anyway. And then my last fun butter fact is that butter made with camel's milk. There's a butter that you can buy called camel bear. (laughs) <laughs> which I just think is so great. Yeah, so there you go. Grant, Those do you have my... any fun facts about Did butter? I... <laughs> no, my favourite fact Eve's, Eve mentioned oh, at the start. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's just the, the classic nomad just on his on his horse or whatever style of thing yeah. he was riding, maybe a horse or a camel, and his bladder's shaking along and I can't imagine his face when he opened it up, like, what are these golden nuggets yeah. inside? Yeah. And however that... I'm still going to eat it, yeah. Got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, my fun fact from your book okay. is that Actually, India is the largest consumer of butter in the world, which I found quite surprising, but I never thought about the whole aspect of ghee and clarifying it and then using it for all the cooking. So I thought that was quite amazing. The book is lovely and very interesting. And we've cooked from it today. We've cooked buttermilk dressing. We're going to have a salad with it. We've made curry butter chicken. We've made the buttermilk tarts. And we've cooked vegetables in a whole load of butter. (laughs) So it's a rich dinner today. (laughs) I would suggest pacing yourself. We're also, of course, going to have beautiful bread and butter to try the butter as it is. We're going to try the buttermilk itself as a little shot for those of you that would like to try it. I think it's absolutely delicious. Really, it was my breakfast and my lunch. I just also for the average what cream would you recommend for making your own butter at home? Can you just buy it in a supermarket? And if you can find Guernsey or um, Guernsey creams in a supermarket, go for that. Um, you can, if you can find Jersey, um, Jersey or Guernsey creme fraiches as well, or also work perfectly because it's already cultured. But if you if not, then there's a place called Ivy House, which I think in London you can get quite easily. Um, and they're a really nice organic Jersey farm. Too. Well, there's also Hook and Sons. They do really Hook and Sons. They do really good uh, raw cream. raw cream. Can we say a thank you to to close the podcast nicely? So thank you so much, Dave and Grand. Thank you. so much for listening to our latest episode if you'd like to join one of the next talks please follow us on social media at honey and co or go on our website honeyandco.co.uk we would really appreciate if you took some time and rated us at itunes only five stars please with a huge thanks to hester Kant for producing and the music is by the lovely alice russell thanks for listening